0: Welcome to Sporting Life. Introducing your host, Ed Draper.
1: Hello, how are you? Welcome to the podcast, Sport and Life. Ed Draper with you once again, sports broadcaster in the UK. Hope you're well. I am just working my way back after a couple of weeks off the podcast, a couple of weeks in isolation due to COVID-19. Thankfully, I made a pretty speedy and and up to this point anyway, painless recovery from that, Uh, albeit in this coming uh, conversation that I had after my isolation period expired, you can certainly feel a weakness to my voice even though my symptoms were fairly fleeting the first night i had a positive test was achy bit sort of feverish but had a good night's sleep uh, and then gradually felt quite a lot better quite quickly so i had a good good uh, sort of uh, way out of it but you can hear in this voice in this uh, podcast just a little bit of uh, fragility recorded last week we've been uh, out of action for a couple of weeks on the podcast i hope you've been well in the meantime appreciate you coming back and hitting on the button thank you to you for that and thank you to the sponsors as well for, for keeping with me Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations check out Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham online bno underscore Cheltenham on social media and always emphasize that part of the blurb which says the brands that best uh, suit you the solutions that best suit you because through that company Serene AV Jason Briggs and his fine team can source you whatever you're looking for, not, not just Bangalofsons' wonderful equipment that is uh, proudly on show in the showroom in Cheltenham, in Montpellier, in the courtyard there here in the west of England. But uh, it's worth getting in touch if you've got different opinions, different visions. Jason and his team will put you right. Thank you also to Cytoplan, food-based supplement company, for their association with the podcast. They are a company my father has been working as a consultant for, my father, Dr. Mark Draper for 20 plus years my dad is general practitioner in england doctor in the Cotswolds in the sort of central belt of the country just below the the center if you're if you're from overseas but he also has worked as a micronutritionist for some time lectured ran courses is particularly fascinated by trace elements selenium and zinc which as you can imagine i've uh, received a fair fair amount during my uh, convalescence and recovery from covid-19 from from him on that front but he recommends Cytoplan as a big, a big fan of theirs. We've taken the supplements for 20 plus years as a family and we still pay for them, albeit at a discount rate, and can share that discount with you. If you go to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk, at, discu- at checkout, you can get a discount of 30% initially, 10% thereafter with future purchases. And the code is DRAPER10R, so it's my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R all capital letters, the numerals one, zero, and the capital letter, ah, right, let's get on to the podcast with a man who knows uh, all about survival, John Hudson is the UK military's chief survival instructor, taking people out to frozen tundras, deserts, jungles, coaching them on how to survive if they're ever caught there in the situation that the military ends up in, in that predicament and what to do to survive, namely find water, seems to be the, the first and foremost thing that is a recurring theme and, and stay safe away from from enemy uh, lines and, and such on. But there's also applicable terms and, and philosophies, I think, that can help inform everyday life. And I met John, first of all, at Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival back at back end of 2019, which was a wonderful event. And John was one of the speakers there. Applying, I think, Tackle His Nearest Shark was one of the concepts that we can to to everyday life in uh, in our admin and whatever else it may be. So I found him greatly helpful over the years in terms of providing an insight from this extreme survival world into how we navigate and prioritize in our everyday life and how we don't let environments sometimes control us or, or fear control us how we can still operate and keep that sort of internal environment pretty upbeat if we can. Well, here he is anyway, the one and only John Hudson. John Hudson, welcome back to the podcast. Good to see you, my friend. How are you? How are you?
0: I'm all right, thanks, mate. Not too bad at all, Todd. It's um, it's been a little while, hasn't it? How long is it since we last spoke?
1: Eh? I think it's just over a year, actually. I mean, in lots of ways, yeah. lots has happened, but not much has happened as well. It's kind of a, a sort of bizarre basis. Yeah. I don't know what your your kind of grasp of time is, but I keep thinking that you know March 2020 in lots of ways doesn't seem a long time ago, and yet no. other, other isn't that weird? Really? I don't. Yeah. Isn't that weird? I know exactly what you mean. We've got this kind of, or I've got this sort of eighteen-month
0: black hole in my um, activity, like memory, yeah. where lots of our stuff was um, generated. So going away with work for jungle or desert type uh, stuff, which are normal yardsticks to a year or like a milestones is probably a better word. Mm. Um, they and they were planned and prepared, and then on, off, on, off, and we just didn't end up doing as many of those as we normally would. So I've kind of lost my annual signposts. And I think it's like you say, it's almost like it seems like a very, very long time ago and straight away at the same time. There's a thing in survival, when when your brain's overloaded in a kind of dynamic crisis event, one of the symptoms that's often uh, witnessed is called perceptual distortion. And you've heard about it in sports because... That moment when it all time slows down, when you're oh, hyper-attentive. The zone.
1: Yeah, the zone. Yeah,
0: yeah. I've heard it called that as well. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if it's that at play or not in a kind of bizarre longhand version, but it does feel a little bit woolly to me.
1: How are you anyway? What's Yeah, happening? I'm good. Just get, getting back from the uh, the COVID, which is, is interesting actually, because I was very fortunate you know, to have not had hopefully too many lasting effects and, and not too bad. But it's, it's, it's almost a measure of relief with um with getting it after two years of dodging it and taking hundreds of lateral flow tests at work and all this kind of thing so i think there's an element of yeah sort of relief and 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 surrealness which has been very surreal through through much of the last two years as well Um, but it's but i don't know the parallels there you mentioned that with the sort of low level anxiety i was wondering whether with the army Hmm. there's parallels with people waiting to be deployed whether they have that kind of feeling that they're going to be sent out to a war zone i don't know whether people have that in the the last couple of years, people have low-level fear, low-level anxiety.
0: I think everyone's really good at adjusting to stuff, aren't they? It's, there's been that kind of background buzz and, and and tolerance. I think the difficult part with with all of this is maintaining that vigilance whilst it becomes a kind of an accepted norm. The risk hasn't necessarily changed um, in a lot of the scenarios that you were just describing, but mm. you get used to the background buzz um, and you and you kind of don't don't pay as much attention as you perhaps did initially because you're familiar with it and it seems like normal even though it's in compared to the vast majority of human history it's fairly unusual i think Mm. um so yeah it's a difficult one isn't it it's all about people's perception of risk which is renowned for being biased towards it won't happen to me i mean that's (laughs) i mean that pays my mortgage doesn't it teaching people how to survive in extreme situations that they hope to goodness will never happen to them especially military aviators you know there's a a commonly held belief that the sky's massive and blue and it won't hit me. So, yeah, it's <laughs> is very that,
1: similar. <laughs> is that hard to persuade them then when you're doing the training? Is it hard? Do you think oh, there's an element oh, of Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. there's about, at, at my rough non-scientific estimate, Ed, there's about 50%, certainly from when I was doing, which is a while ago now, uh, 50% of the people in the Royal Air Force Flying Squadron's crew room firmly believe it's not going to happen to them. Mm. And then of the other half who think it might happen, it's difficult to put a finger on a stat, but, you know, most gen- well, generally don't want it to um, and don't expect it to either. So there's yeah. a recognition that it could, but there's a bit of a denial that it will. And I think that's fairly transferable, isn't it? If you look at a lot of situations, like I still see loads of people crossing the road without looking with their earbuds in. So, yeah, they probably just think it won't happen to them.
1: Yeah. It's that level of optimism, isn't it? What is the the optimum? level of optimism yeah you're too pessimistic you won't do anything you'll 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 stay in your well yeah but it's and uh, and
0: it's a fine balance isn't it because you can be unrealistically optimistic like we spoke about a while ago and probably a couple of years back now when i was over at your place um and it, it is making sure that you're you're not living in fear but you're calibrated your risk assessment your dynamic risk assessment is the phrase isn't it as long as you've calibrated that to be um sensible but not overwhelming then I think we're all okay. But we've all got these inherent biases, haven't we? So we're subconsciously filtering stuff out that we should
1: be paying attention to. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting with the pandemic. I suppose it's... You mentioned the risk, and it's your net gain as well, isn't it? I think there's been real divergence between people, and people's brain chemistry is so different that actually say for example isolation is a lot more damaging for some than others and it's most yeah. humans it is but for i do worry about i've been fortunate enough to go into work and i know you have but people who are extrovert yeah. oriented who live on their own at home that's a, you know that's a, oh, tough, yeah. a tough situation
0: yeah i totally agree and some people thrive in the kind of the, the working in the library mode don't they where you've got your little booth and you've got your resource material and you're doing a kind of a more academic approach to what you're working on and it's certainly good if you can compartmentalize that. i mean i've been lucky with my working from home um, that I have had some fairly large admin-based projects that I've needed to get squared away. So I've been lucky that I've been able to apportion all of that time to doing those tasks. But that's just because I'm pretty lucky and I've got a flexible line management. I think if it, you were in a, uh, a naturally extroverted person whose normal role involves engaging with people and reading those nonverbal cues, isn't it? It's, the, it's the not, not just the sort of neck up, There's the whole body that you can read into have you read um have you read spy the lie have you ever come across I that one? Know. It's like oh right like, so get it on your to read list then it's amazing by so the Lie. yeah um there are three cia polygraph training experts who've written this book and they're you know they're, they're um selling their skills to industry so it's a, it's a really good advertisement for them and i'm not on commission obviously um, but they talk about how to read a person's body language in, in really accurate detail. And it isn't the obvious things about where their eyes go. I mean, that's a popularly held belief. Oh, the left, left or right left
1: thing, thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
0: all that. I mean, so you can, you can do some simple tests for that. But what they describe is a, a time frame from question asking to question answered. And about, within about five seconds, you're looking for some pretty significant cues. And a lot of them are below the neck. And that's one thing that we're all doing subconsciously anyway when we're reading people's behaviors and our interpersonal stuff. But if to get back to my, my far earlier point, <laughs> if you are living in isolation and you're an extroverted person depends on that interpersonal connectedness, mm. then you're not going to get it through a screen. Regardless yeah. of the amazing advances in technology, you know, that we've been privileged to have in the last few years, you still are you're still missing that secret source of the engagement, aren't you?
1: Yeah. And I suppose there must have been the, the history that you've studied about people who have survived extreme situations mm. in, in the armed forces, what, what are the keys for them, that people have been stranded, isolated in woods alone? Oh,
0: yeah. Well, there's some amazing parallels. So um, the one that people were, perhaps have heard of is Hiro Onoda, a Japanese evader who was on an island, uh, Lubang, in the, in the Philippines. Uh, and when the war ended in 1945, the last order that he'd had was to not surrender. So he went into hiding, uh, and he was on the island with two others that a lot of people didn't know about. Um, so the three of these Japanese guys are cutting around the Filipino island with their weapons, and they're stealing stuff, and they're doing a little minor sabotage act, but they're avoiding capture. And they did that from 1945 until 1974. Amazing. Yeah, wow. but the thing that the thing that people don't often know about his story is that he managed all of that time except for the last six months with a colleague. And it was only when his last colleague was taken away from him Mm. that he really struggled with the isolation element of it. And it's been proven in other scenarios that if you are on your own somewhere, it can be quite psychologically damaging. Certainly, if you go all the way back to people like Alexander Selkirk, the role model for Robinson Crusoe, Mm. when he was first um, found on the island by friendly sailors after doing three and a bit years alone, all he could do was like fall to his knees and groan, marooned. and then he burst into tears because it was yeah. that physical human contact and engagement that he really missed. He spent most of his downtime stood up a tree looking for a ship. Yeah, I suppose so we
1: pack animals, aren't we? And I think It's interesting because wow. a friend works in a in a in a vegetable grocery store, and he says that there's still people who they deliver to who, as far as he knows, haven't gone out of their house since oh wow spring of 2020 or or barely. Wow, you know? so there's a lot of people maybe who are still still pretty yeah. really stringent isolated lives and it's yeah about oh. finding finding that balance and also yeah equating risk with time isn't it and, ha- and how finite mm-hmm. life is as well I mean that's pretty philosophical mm-hmm. but I suppose uh, I don't know whether that's a stoicism thing or, or not but or maybe so,
0: yeah it would be interesting but, to to look into um, the world I'm sure there'll be some um rigorous studies of this afterwards but it'll be interesting to hear from those people after a couple of years of non-hostile isolation you know I'm not talking about like we were just previously discussing, you know, people hunting them down, but just literally stuck somewhere. I I'd imagine that there'll be all sorts of people who want to chat to them and go through what's happened in the, in the interim, how, how their
1: worldview, maybe, or their even, you know, their, their brain chemistry's altered perhaps. Mm. It's amazing the perception, isn't it, when you think about it? Because, you know, Victor Frankl's man's search for meaning is held up as this
0: yeah. incredible.
1: I think it, probably stoicism, you may call it, a detachment from environment, from from mindset, and it's, it's probably going yeah. to be key for for our kids. But it's interesting because I thought, you know, my daughter's just turned seven, and was right. it been thirty percent of her life or so has been in, in the pandemic since she started school? But yeah. seems very resilient, very you know matter of fact. It's almost a, a norm, normality for her in in a sense. So it's, you wonder about yeah. that that resilience and whether we find it harder to be resilient as we as we get older.
0: I suppose it's almost like you know we've been used to luxury in a way in terms of uh, physical contact and, mm. and interhuman availability and i suppose for really young people like your daughter that they sort of their sentient self their period of most consciousness as if it's always been like this then you know what's the difference i do remember this this is a dim recollection act, <clears throat> excuse mm. me about reading something ages ago about a young man who was who was kept in horrific conditions. And I'm talking about 100, 150 years ago, somewhere in Europe. And so he kind of couldn't speak and had absolutely no sort of human skills. Being literally kept in a basement somewhere. But oh. he was kind of fated by court and brought out as like the wild child kind of thing. I'm sure you're, it's, quick, it's only a quick Google away these days, isn't it, that yeah. sort of thing. But it didn't take very long for that individual to... Adopt the manners of the time. I think is the best way to describe it, and adjust to the new normal. Whether or not there's any lasting um, effect or imprinting on it, I, I don't know. But I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's that we're, we're like, relatively speaking, we've been sat on a kind of a social velvet cushion all our lives, haven't we? <laughs> yeah.
1: It's that yeah. kind of. And the travel, travel as well. You know, the tra- I mean, I don't know how that's affected your travel. Whether you've been able to go to the the jungles and right. frozen tundras and stuff, but people have been a lot yeah. more limited that our generation was kind of came of age in this wonderful time where you could get around the world ticket for £800 or something.
0: Oh mad isn't it yeah and, and that's that's kind of changing the, and in some ways that's that's a good thing isn't it but mm.
1: you know
0: it, it, it's affected us and where I work with, with the obvious kind of uh, embargoes on going into and out of certain foreign places quite rightly you know if they literally two three weeks ago when maybe longer when the, when the Omicron variant started to ripple yeah. around the place one of my colleagues was slated to go up to the far north where I, I'd been in the past and work in an Inuit community and quite rightly there they said actually no we don't want anybody from sort of the green bits of the planet coming up
1: for a while thanks we we'll, sure. will we're, we're,
0: we're all all right here for now.
1: <laughs> yeah I bet they are actually that's quite that's quite interesting isn't it probably being remote at the moment is probably a good a good thing.
0: Yeah I guess so I mean there comes a time doesn't there where you've got to get back in touch for vital supplies but as far as i know they get most of it by boat in the in the non-ice period so if they'd be quite happy
1: to ride it out and you
0: know
1: (laughs) spend a bit more time outdoors in nature even
0: though it's minus 50.
1: yeah 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 blimey it's quite quite incredible where humans actually end up living in the world isn't it in terms of the adversity the the environment so have you been predominantly teaching in a classroom then john is that how you've
0: done a mix mate so uh, training instructors the bulk of what i was doing was outdoors Mm. um we, it's, it's easier, isn't it, to socially distance and have good airflow if all that you've got for a roof is a parachute? So, we would string up a, a shelter in the, in the woods and t- train the guys and girls and as per normal. Um, mm. The only thing that changed in the, the sort of the real pinch points was that our capacity to train, we, we dropped about half the class size and just kept everyone twice as far apart. Um, and so, we just ran twice as many cereals and, and, and sort of skinned the cat that way. And okay. I have been back in the classroom a little bit, but it's all been very measured and risk assessed. And there's been plastic screens and um, less students in the classroom. Um, okay. And then gradually, gradually as the sort of risk assessments that we've we've been making have uh, evolved under the government guidelines. We've managed to sort of ease back into a, a kind of a, a more full classroom. But it's still it's still a, you know, a dusty difference from what it would have been at peak capacity before everything kicked off. We're just yeah. about back to, back to where we were now, but still a little way to go.
1: Yeah, very surreal, surreal aspect to mm-hmm. it, isn't it, I think is, uh, is yeah.
0: the point as well. Um, well, the students probably think it's better because they're getting much more interaction, but for the staff, yeah. it's twice as much work, isn't
1: <laughs> it? <laughs> it's a, it certainly is. Um, what about the beach? Have you been down to the beach lately? Get yeah, your you, you No, for
0: products. a little not for a little while mate i mean we're lucky that there's so many different outdoor spaces to to sort of get exercise and recreate um and i'm a big fan of uh the sort of the the countryside as well so i've been spending much more time on Bodmin Moor than i would have in the mm. past so that's that's if you like dartmoor um it's it's a very small nice version of dartmoor just with phenomenally less people so it's one of those places where you can literally walk all day and not see a soul Do you so, do you camp? Uh, we, yeah, we have done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, sometimes that's a bit of a busman's holiday for me, so I tend to walk back to my house, which is near it. <laughs> <I'll>
1: <laughs> but yeah, what, we do. It's like Bear Grylls in his fancy hotels, isn't it? That's the, uh, <laughs> the application. I, you 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 suggest. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> means, allegedly, um, yeah. It, it is funny that, isn't it? Because I think during the pandemic, we've all become more accustomed or more illuminated to our lack of practical skills growing food being able to survive mm. outdoors do you think there's an awakening of our primal selves a little bit
0: i think there has been i know of friends who um in the early phases of the of the initial lockdowns would um be out foraging because it was just a way of keeping their skills up you know looking at that that 2020 time when yeah um, everyone was really constrained and so they'd be out for their 30 minutes of exercise and they'd just you know you know finding the edible plants because that's what we would would have been doing at work anyway um and there were other people doing it that you would not normally see and then once that lockdown stuff eased a good friend of mine will he started a little community um take one person at a time and pass on a few skills just because he that's him it's what he wanted to do uh it's what he would have been doing normally i should say and, and you were allowed when you were allowed to walk with a another person he, he he managed to do some of that and that had quite a um a positive impact on his local community he did it through a, like a, a club he was already a member of a cycling club. um and so it's a way for them when they couldn't ride off for miles and miles on the road bikes, they could go out and do a little bit of sort of, I don't know, just chatting, a bit of exercise, a bit of uphill, downhill, and Will was able to sprinkle a few edible plants along the route, and that seemed quite popular. So anecdotally yeah. from my colleagues, there are people out there now who are foragers that wouldn't have been before. I don't know if it's um, that that widespread yet. I think once the, mm-hmm. the great unlocking of the supermarkets happened, people wanted the convenience again.
1: Yeah. although it's I yeah, my dad's got a four acre allotment he's had probably since the start of the pandemic actually. It's quite, yeah. it's, or he calls it a small holding, but it's, he just rents it for a small small amount in the Cotswolds and actually he's grown some great carrots, broccoli, spinach, yeah. and actually there is something, you know, the taste of that is different, mm. different level to something you get from the supermarket, even if it's organic or, you know, locally, yeah. wherever it is, it's, it's very cool to, to get that experience.
0: Yeah, it's satisfying, isn't it? I think there's something about that kind of finding it yourself or growing it yourself that... It, you appreciate it a bit more it's less of a disposable culture isn't it i mean one of the things that i did a, years ago now to um to learn more about edible plants was a little bit of making wine out of hedgerows oh yes. it's, it's only when you've sort of gathered enough what i can't remember what it'd be a no, rose hips or something or elderberries when you've gathered enough of those on a dog walk that you realize actually there's quite a lot of graft goes into this and yeah. you, you start to appreciate the quality of the stuff. I mean, I'm not saying it was good wine. I'm just saying that when you buy a, a bottle of wine, you know how much work's gone into it. Um, and then other things like, you know, unusual sources of, of hydration and, and calories in the outdoors. They, we, we were making stuff out of um, birch trees where you tap into the sap, really get like, you get like four or five liters of sap overnight at the right time of year. And that's that's a, a useful, interesting skill in in and of itself to know. If you're up in the Balkans, for example, where there's loads of them, and maybe you have to sneak about. But if you are, you know, in the luxury of being in the UK, you can just add a little bit of yeast and, hey presto, you've got five litres of alcohol in about two weeks' time. Is that the same so, for
1: silver birch as well? I think we've got silver. That's, the,
0: that's, that's exactly that's it. mate. That was the tree I was using. Yeah. Oh, ah, Nice. Yeah. 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 We've I mean, got, you've got, got a, got a better load better. of. Yeah.
1: Pardon. So they drop lots of debris on our drive, which is a bit annoying because we always bring it into the house. But apart from that,
0: you can now you can now get a kind of an environmentally friendly, cost neutral revenge by putting a little hole in the tree, Mm. putting a bit of tubing into it. And one week or so in March, when the saps rising and your car gets sticky, just divert a little bit of that into a demi and Make sure you bum the hole up properly afterwards. All that kind of good eco blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you can have free booze, Ed. What, oh, really? Sort
1: of <laughs> wow, that sounds perfect. Well, one thing I was thinking about as well, working from home and generally yeah. New Year theme. It's obviously not quite New Year, but it's uh, we're still in that part of the year. Generally, yeah. is yeah. clarity of thought and and, and prioritising. Mm. People might have goals, things like that. And I know you, the tackle the nearest shark was something that we've talked about in the past. I just yeah. wonder this worth revisiting that because people may have a work project they may have a, a background education thing they're studying for or another fitness goal on how you prioritize mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. And, orga- and organize it because uh, that's an, yeah. some people talk swear by a sort of routine don't they but I know that you're always like well what's the first thing that's that's coming up that I need to do
0: well yeah it's a kind of a flexible mindset that we encourage all our students to adopt and I certainly work on it with our, our members of staff who are going to deliver it so the kind of I suppose it I, I, I may have described this similarly in the last time we chatted but military survival is is not the same as what you see on tv described as bushcraft you know we've mm. just been chatting about bushcrafty stuff and it's a it's a pastime for some of us but military survival is much 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 more efficient streamlined um, no messing no no faffing about and it's all about doing the right thing at the right time to get the, the most rapid situation change yeah. and that's normally conducted by people who've had an absolute shocker of a night out. Something's gone flash or bang. They might be injured and they're a long way from home. And actually there's perhaps dogs or people looking, people with dogs looking for them, that kind of thing. So they're motivated to do it slickly. And then what we drill into these guys is that, there's a kind of skeleton key that you can carry with you in your head that will unlock any environment in the world. And it is true of civilian life as well. It's true of these sorts of exact goal-setting things that you just mentioned a moment ago. When we do it in the military world, we talk about prioritising survival. So it's protection first from the environment, location as in get rescued, acquisition of water and then food in that order, and then navigation lastly to, to get yourself back to friendlies or to resources. So we just call it plan. Um, But the other way to unpack that and think about it is, what's going to kill me first? And if you look at the PLAN acronym, the first thing that will kill people, counterintuitively, is some form of um, homeostasis drama. So that could be a loss of blood volume from an injury. It could be uh, an overheating or an underheating because of the environment, or maybe worst case, you know, the vehicle is itself on fire. Um, You then go through that Physiological realm, and you talk about well, if it's just about bearable but not brilliant, how can I make it slightly cooler or slightly hotter, or warmer, I should say? Um, So then we're looking at things like maybe a shelter, or possibly taking refuge from the elements, or even building something elaborate and lighting a fire to warm it. So you're looking at that kind of that kind of level of detail then. But we just call it plan, and it's what's going to kill me first. And the way to sort of adapt that to the any day is like you said what's the nearest sort of crocodile to the canoe or shark to the life raft yeah. what is the big thing on the task list that's going to really bite me on the ass if I don't get rid of it early and it's not normally the one that you're drawn to do it's normally the one that, yeah. yeah not emails yeah exactly yeah so it's the one that you sort of push to one side because it's slightly unpleasant and it involves a little bit of mental or physical effort that you're not quite in the mood to do first thing in the morning but generally speaking you'll have a far better day if you tackle that thing first. And it's mm-hmm. 100% true in my world, and we're talking about physical survival. But what the, the knock on from that is that if you can then influence your scenario by making that effort to change the situation, the very fact, and we, we definitely talked about this, didn't we? The very fact that you've changed your situation means that you have or feel like you have a little control over it. Mm. And psychologists have proven in the past that the feeling of control is key to maintaining a, a positive, hopeful outlook.
1: Yeah, we're looking into a business thing at the moment. There's a lot of legalese with yeah. terms and conditions, which I hate trying to draft yeah, no. and edit. But that actually is something you have to do when you're, like, say, when you're fresh, and it's one of yeah. those things where, yeah, yeah, you don't want to do it, but you you want to do other stuff, but that's actually the priority. And that sometimes is where, for me, like people say, work out in the morning, but working out is a fun thing for me. So sometimes I think I better yeah. do the thing that actually isn't, you know, yeah. it's hard for me you to save do it as a reward. Yeah, well, I like sitting still and and you know. The staring at the kind of legal terms and stuff is is actually harder. So it's one of those, yeah. yeah. How, it, how it varies. That, person. That's
0: a great way. Of, that's a great way of looking at it, mate, because it is flexible and different for every person. I mean, it's quite clear cut, fortunately for our guys. What's going to kill them first is normally fairly obvious. But yeah. in that situation, then that's exactly what we're on about with this seer-mindedness. That kind of. Um, adaptability and no, recognizing your own red lines in performance, and, pl- and working within those, and kind of another aviation parallel. But yeah, that that makes total sense to me. If there's something you find deeply unpleasant, then why not save the thing that other people like I might find unpleasant, like working out, as a reward for later in the day?
1: <laughs> well, you're always foraging anyway, so it's it's a, it's a natural <laughs> workout of it's, it. <laughs> movement, yeah. any movement's good. Um, what about you mentioned earlier, being in the present moment and the interplay? In the modern western world that we're forced to play between believing that it, we feel better when we're in the moment not thinking about this the past or the future but also recognizing that we're having to schedule zoom calls with ed draper and, and stuff like that on your on your behalf and having to look at diaries and calendars and and, and, and thinking ahead in a way and losing ourselves there how do you see the inter- is there an interplay there with survival situations where yeah. people have to do immediately to live in the moment but also be cognizant of, of there's a sequence of events that will lead to a a different outcome
0: yeah it's a good question isn't it because we're all probably slightly guilty of not paying attention and letting quantities of time just drift past us i mean that's certainly been the case for me this week it's flown mm-hmm. by and i know that's because i've had to play that sort of work related back the rat and knock yeah. down the first target um but what so the parallel that i i think is probably the most appropriate when i when i when i'm contemplating that paradigm so we i mean obviously there's there's certain things that we won't be able to discuss on zoom but we teach people survival in hostile territory where where hostile means there's a definite likelihood of intervention by unfriendly humans okay probably wearing a different uniform if you know what i'm saying so what we've found and what i certainly have witnessed personally when i've been doing those sorts of exercises as a as a, a participant rather than a member of the directing staff is that in order to be successful at not getting caught, you can't just sprint through the woods. Mm. You've got to move slowly and stealthily. And what I've noticed when I've been doing those sorts of things in all different parts of the world, you know, deserts, jungles, the Arctic, et cetera, et cetera, is that by slowing down slightly my rate of movement and by feeling like I'm being hunted, I tend to notice a lot more in my situation, in my immediate situation. And my senses do genuinely get heightened so i've been doing this stuff all over the world for for years luckily with my job it's quite a good laugh yeah. i've been sort of evading through the jungle in central america with people looking for me with guns and stuff and oh. you notice things that you would not normally notice so i've i've like smelt cigarette smoke from hundreds of meters away whereas you'd probably just you you're know, not you a smoker that's what <laughs> <one>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it wasn't me yeah a massive long 100 meters yeah. so sort of, you just sort of tune those things out normally don't you and i think it's that i think it's that when you are are maybe because you're you've got some there's a stake you know you're there's something at risk that you're doing it for a reason or maybe it's because you just slowed down or a combination of both and your senses become heightened that you're more attuned to your scenario and i've got really really experienced military friends i mean i'm royal air force so i would borderline count myself out from the military but these are (laughs) soldiers who've done all sorts of amazing high altitude low opening type craziness and and um and they would probably, some of them, describe it differently from this, but they've, I've chatted around the campfire with them anecdotally about this sort of thing. And my take on it is it's a kind of mindfulness. Because if you are really attuned to your environment and you're paying attention to minute details for whatever reason, mm. you are 100% in that moment. You've, it's given, you've given it all your attention, and then time doesn't whiz by. And it doesn't mm. quite slow down, as we, we've probably discussed in the past, into that yeah. sort of flow state. But you do notice that um, there are details that would you would otherwise miss. So, for example, you'll if you stand on a, a twig in a wood, mm. a human foot will snap it in two places, whereas an animal would snap it in one. So you'll notice little things like that on the floor, and another human's walked here, so I need to be alert to their presence. You, the human foot hurt?
1: would do what? Sorry, John?
0: So if you took a pencil, like I've got in my hands yeah. now, and you held it between uh, in both hands, so you, you imagine that there's a flat foot coming down into the centre of it, then mm-hmm. the stick would break upwards at either side of your foot. So you'd end up with two snaps and a foot's width between them ah. as it sinks into the soft ground. Whereas animals don't have flat feet. So if a stick gets, if they were to snap a twig, which they probably wouldn't, it'd snap in the centre. And there are other cues to human presence that we'll notice when we go out. Like if you walk into a wood line and pigeons noisily flap away, then mm-hmm. you're the first person there. If you walk into a wood line and there's no birds evacuating, somebody else is probably already there. Yeah. So these are just the old old skills in the poacher that we're trying to teach the the kind of the latest generation of f-35 pilots and the like but um it's useful because it makes you pay so much attention to your environment and i think that's what we were chatting about probably is that time won't fly by when you're doing that it won't whiz past when you probably when you're properly mindful of your environment for whatever motive because you choose to or because you have to then you don't find days and weeks slipping away it's only when i'm my mindfulness is incapacitated by a bulging inbox of trivia, and I really—I'm just dialed out, mate. One yeah.
1: you know what? Yeah. I think it's sort of um, a tangential topic, but I was listening to Tony Robbins, the uh, the great sort of self-development guru, and he was talking oh, yeah. about—he was talking about habit and, and the, the pros and cons of habit and obviously the, the good thing is you don't, have to de- you don't have to devote a lot of energy to it it's it's yeah. automatic it's not conscious but he said the bad thing is there's no opportunity for development or growth and I was thinking about this in, in reference even to my driving I do a lot yeah. of driving and I thought actually if I actually improved as a driver or am I just an autopilot the whole, and can I consciously think about oh, it wow. yeah. there's a lot of stuff that we do whether it's firing through admin or whatever you think actually you know are you concentrating to try and practice? And I think kids do this better. They practice everything. You watch them, they, mm. they give it their best shot, whereas I think we often yeah. do enough. And maybe that's a good mm. thing, but, but certain things it seems like. And that does that play into being in the moment where you're in the moment more, you're not habitual and automatic, are you?
0: No, it's true. There's, um, there's a whole – the theory I like that sort of covers a little bit of this topic is that, that of deliberate practice. Yeah. Where you, you – You just focus on that one key thing you want to improve and work on that. And rather than throwing a blanket over all your abilities and trying to make everything better, why not just focus on one area? Probably one that you've actually got a bit of an affinity with and become really good at it rather than trying to drag every area of your life. Mm. If, if for example, and I can't really think of a good driving analogy, but if, for example, you are just hopeless at reversing, then just make sure you can do it safely. And you will
1: concentrate because you're worried about it, but you don't need to be able to do J-turns no yeah <laughs> you, don't to, you don't want to get too stressed by it either but i think it's like yeah, that, that exactly. deliberate practice even with our jobs i think it's often a thing that people i find presenting sometimes on sky sports news you can go into a an autopilot place but then there's yeah, not much room for, for development there
0: no and i think you'll it, it might be more difficult for you because your audience is behind a screen that you don't get to see mm. it's certainly a slightly different in my world because I, I can see people physically falling asleep if I'm dialing it in during a <laughs> lesson. Yeah, so, it's true. Yeah, you have to kind of um, inject a bit of caffeine or enthusiasm at that point, yeah. regardless of why. You know, it's probably not nothing personal. They probably just went out on the lash and you keep the night before.
1: It's also harder to, when, you, when you've done something, you know, you've got a lot of reps, it's harder to make those gains, isn't it? But it's where that yeah. deliberate, that deliberate, marginal gains, as they say, in in, in cycling in the team yeah as it was, INEOS now, yeah their sort of mantra.
0: Yeah, and that's that's a good point because you can you can focus in on lots of areas of performance, but if you're if you're um, constantly doing the same activity, be it presentation or whatever, and you end up kind of inserting a cassette and being mindless while you do it, mm-hmm. then you, it doesn't matter if you're at the top of your game because people, if you're trying to sell information to people, they're not going to buy it if you're not enthusiastic. No, certainly not it's from not our bad. world. I know it's, it's different in in your realm from mine, but the concepts broadly
1: similar, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's human human interaction. You have to be have to be present and engaged, or engaging. I think it's the yeah the key. So, John, any anything else for us? Do you think any insights that you've reflected Ooh. upon from your study and the modern landscape um, to shifting all the time? Of course, with the, the pandemic,
0: I think I mean, the last thing you mentioned is quite a good one. So, if, if we're looking at a little bit of reflection, I reckon I reckon all of us could probably list out three things that we think's improved in our. Personal circumstances, or not circumstances, our personal attributes, because of the enforced hardship of isolation, and it might be that we've um, had to pay better attention to distant relationships, people who are really good mates, but that we we wouldn't normally keep in touch with, but we've been checking in with. So I think it's it's probably as it feels a little bit like we're coming in out from around the. the back of the dark side of the COVID moon, it feels a little bit like it's time to sort of think about what, what's gone well for us rather than mm. constantly looking back. Because there's been some pretty shocking anniversaries in our family. I mean, it was a year ago this week that my cousin's husband died of COVID and he was only oh, 39. Okay. So, you know, it's probably now time to start looking at um, what's gone okay, if not well, and how we can capitalize on those gains maybe.
1: Yeah. To try and put
0: right. a slightly positive spin on it.
1: Yeah, very sorry to hear of your loss there. And I suppose it's yeah, adversity makes us stronger. You know, you're a believer in that from, from what you've read? Yeah. Not, not devastating adversity, but but other aspects no. our, in our life that that maybe have, like you said, we, we had a sugar-coated sort of youth, you know, generation. Yeah. We were very lucky compared to First World yeah. War, Second World War. I
0: think so. There's a definite large body of science that backs up the theory of post-traumatic growth. Mm. And it yeah. won't feel like it's a kind of a pleasant, positive growth in the rawness of any bereavement or loss but i i think there are bits of there are little golden threads or silver linings is probably a better analogy there are little silver linings to some of this big dark cloud and it's maybe time to try and have a look at some of those
1: absolutely john remind us where we can get in touch with you look at your- <laughs> Mate, you... i um... have oh, got internet at home as well. <laughs> get... I know,
0: yeah, check me out. More and after... I, I'm absolutely shocking at social media, as you well know. So it's probably best, John Survival.com or the book that I wrote a while back about, about how to cope better in adversity. It's just called How to Survive.
1: Yeah, it's brilliant. John, thank you. We'll speak again soon, my man. Appreciate your time. Yeah, lovely chatting to you. Take care, mate. There we have it. The one and only John Hudson i say think like every day that my voice certainly bounces back even though i've felt pretty well for a while it's uh, it's been a slow recovery but you can sense that towards the end my voice was quite weak in in that podcast but not no weakness from john although very sorry to hear of his family loss as well it is a fickle customer this covid19 and we continue to learn about it don't we thank you for listening to the podcast if you l- enjoyed it you know let me know write a review on itunes wherever you're listening rate it it'd be fantastic always bolsters it or just tell a friend pass it on it's always powerful but i appreciate you being appreciate you here being here listening to the podcast clicking on the button and thank you once again to the people who kind of help make it possible in terms of me devoting a little bit of time to the podcast and booking guests etc and that is the sponsors bang Nullison of cheltenham and serene av who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations remember the home entertainment brands not just the wonderful bang Olufsen equipment but through that company serene av they can source you whatever suits your vision and your budget, get in touch with Bang Nolofson of Cheltenham if you're looking for a home entertainment system, some audio, televisual equipment, whatever it may be. It's not my area of expertise, as you can probably tell. A bit of a Neanderthal laddite in that regard. Uh, but it's uh, really appreciate their support. As it is, Cytoplan, food based supplement company. And if you are looking to optimize your immunity, want to try the supplements from Cytoplan as a basis, not necessarily a recommendation, but what I take is immune complete too as a multivitamin vitamin you may call it if you're in the states or australia it's something that that contains a whole raft of things including vitamin c d3 and zinc selenium and magnesium it's got a bit of magnesium in there too which i know is very topical for a lot of people tony wrighton has been a guest of the podcast has been uh, focusing on a lot about magnesium i think in his his writings at the moment so yeah whatever you're looking for check it out anyway there's lots of bespoke supplements as well you may be looking at vitamin d3 in particular as a, a sole supplement which has pretty much got universal support i think in terms of uh, being important for us and something we don't necessarily get enough of particularly in the winter so thank you for listening to the podcast if you want to go to the site to plan.co.uk at checkout, the discount code is draper10r my last name d-r-a-p-e-r all capital letters the numerals one zero and the capital letter R, cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk. And thank you for listening to the podcast. Um, hopefully I have another one coming up next week with a commentator, Seb Hutchinson, who is a contemporary of mine, but now commentating for Football for Sky Sports, and he'll be coming on the podcast next week all being well he's uh, done stuff for the bbc as well five live we started out together in radio a long time ago so i'm looking forward to releasing that podcast conversation next week thank you for listening and have a great week goodbye for now